also using that lead nurturing pre-pitch for when you've got your salespeople entering in the room and they're like, yeah, we hear. And if you already understand your client and the pain point and all that, you already have all your message out there. They've seen you on LinkedIn. They've, they've seen your emails. They've read articles. So this is where I think it's very, very important to market like that. In today's episode of Digital Surfing, we're talking lead nurturing. My name is Darren Smith, and my guest this week is Annabelle Taylor, the head of Asia-Pac Marketing Communications at Knight Frank. She's based in Singapore. Her main focus is to build and maintain the Knight Frank brand and value proposition. Directly managing her own team and working closely with local market teams across 13 countries, Annabelle's primary responsibility is to create and deliver marketing strategy and tools which support the attraction, acquisition, and retention of clients and increasingly employees. And we're gonna dive into how lead nurturing plays an important role in this entire process. In her spare time, she loves sewing and she shares her creations on her Instagram, which is at wonder.woe.mum. Welcome, Annabelle. So good to have you this Friday afternoon in Singapore and Friday morning in Cape Town. So good to have you. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. You're the last thing between uh, me and my glass of wine. <laughs> okay, well, we'll try and make this as painless as possible. So, it's my pleasure. Um, <laughs> you have an amazing accent. You are in Singapore. Tell me a little bit about your background. What are you doing in Singapore and what do you do? So my accent is French. I've been in Asia for 24 years. Arrived in 99 in China. And never left since. My major was actually Mandarin, which is quite interesting at that time. Nobody else could speak Mandarin at that time, but now obviously a lot of people are. And my journey started in I actually, where I joined the real estate industry in marketing. And since then, I pretty much had my career in the real estate industry way through. I am now working at Night Frank. I am leading the Asia Pacific marketing and communication. And my focus is really to build and maintain the Knight Frank brand and the value proposition. I've got a, a reasonably small or big, depending how you see it. I've got a team of eight at the moment. And we're working across local markets, 30 different countries across the Asia Pacific. And my main responsibility is to work with the business to create and deliver marketing strategy and tools which support the attraction acquisition and retention of clients and also increasingly employees as well because we know there's a massive talent war so that's also one of our uh, focus before joining night frank i was also in real estate like mentioned i've been spending six years at jail which is also a big real estate consultant globally actually and i was also working for a company called arcadis and uh, colliers where my role was mainly working at a regional level but i've also worked at local level as well and I was also very fortunate during my career to work for about four years for a, a company called Michael Page. I don't know if you know them. They're yeah. in recruitment. And this is where I really learned a lot about digital, even though that was at the infancy of digital, I have to say. But I've learned a lot around usage of a CRM system, but also just really treating the website as an asset, which is not always the case in the real estate industry for some reason. My first website I ever built and what got me into digital was a real estate website. And I, I actually always thought that they were pioneering in digital just because it was my first foot in the door. And so it's interesting to hear that you say that you feel they're behind the times a little bit. Well, let's put it this way. I left four years and when I came back, it was just the same. <laughs> but 
Having said that, I have to say that COVID was a bit of a silver lining in, in that aspect that the industry has, had really to adapt very quickly to embrace digital. So that has been speeding lots of things. And now we're seeing drones doing valuations and things like that, things that were not happening before. But I think it's been accelerating the digitalization of the industry, basically, which I think COVID has been accelerating digitalization overall, but I think especially in the real estate industry. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about real estate and recruitment and the things that are in common there. But before we go there, I just want to focus on yourself a little bit. Now, one of the things that I found really interesting is you told me that your favorite app is Headspace. Uh, and you practice kind of positive thinking and the laws of attraction. Like that's really good, healthy stuff. How did you get into that? That's a long story, but in a nutshell, midlife crisis, I will not tell you when, but I had the opportunity to have 10 months off work because uh, I was looking for something that was suit me better. And I took all that time to good things and I've really extended my meditation practice and really, like you say, the law of attraction and reading the secret and actually practicing it. And it works, by the way, just it's. But I think most importantly, I think Headspace is really my go-to app. That's something that I've got, obviously, on the go all the time. I commute in the morning. Some people will check their emails. And I've got my rules is not to check my emails, but I meditate. I just sit and I meditate. And I love it. And, lo and I love their little bit of function that's called the wake up. I just find it very interesting. I've got to ask you then. So you're in marketing and you practice positive thinking and laws of attraction. Does this help generate more leads? <laughs> uh, yes, I, I invisualize perfect rollout of campaign and, and I also recce my computer sometimes. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> that doesn't work. Always have IT problems. That doesn't work. Low attraction does not work with IT. <laughs> Career wise, it's been, it's been proven successful. Uh, I'm really interested in that space. I've tried meditation myself. I couldn't sit still for that long, but I run. And apparently someone told me that if you run, it's the same type of thing. Absolutely love it. Yeah. Well, same. Mindful walking and things like that. That also work. Yeah. All right. So I mean, you've, you said you've been in real estate. You work in Night Frank now. You're also at Michael Page with recruitment. In terms of those kind of industries, are there commonalities in how marketing works, how you approach marketing, marketing strategy and that type of thing? Yeah, it's very, very similar because you've got the same environment where you've got that aspect that is B2B and you've got the aspect that is B2C. So you've got the B2B, let's work with clients and to sell the service. And then you've got that aspect or either from a recruitment perspective where you're looking for candidates, candidates acquisition. And then you could actually say, well, when you're selling real estate, residential and all that, then you're looking for your clients. So the ecosystem is actually the same. Fundamentals are the same. I've actually had lots of colleagues that made the switch from real estate to recruitment and vice versa, which is quite interesting. And when you design your marketing strategies in real estate, you've got to find the property and buildings and so on to sell. And then you've got to find buyers and renters. In recruitment, you need to find candidates and companies needing those. And then you've added a third dimension now in that you're saying, you're actually having to find employees in addition. Like, so in terms of, do you split your marketing strategy one third, one third, one third, or where do you put more focus on demand or more focus on the supply side or where do you put your focus? That really depends where you're at, which market, what, 
where you at in the sales cycle, basically. So I think at the moment, for example, you go to London and we can't find any sellers, for example. You've got buyers and vice versa. So it really depends where you're at. Also, it depends who's paying the fee. <laughs> That's also a big one. Yeah. Uh, but it's fair to say that when you've got crisis, people are very often handing on to their assets and then people are trying to buy. And then so you've got an old dynamic. So it's never very straightforward. I can't say there is one that we're market more than the others. Both are equally important. Having said that, when you're looking at more from an occupier perspective, we are working for clients. So we're not working for landlords. So we're only working for the tenants that are looking for the space, mainly representing the occupiers, not so much the landlords. So that's depending, as I can say. Okay. For both of these recruitment and real estate, these are considered purchases. It's not like you marketing bread and milk and that type of thing. There's multiple decision makers, that type of thing. And it can often take weeks, if not years, for someone to make that purchase decision. On top of that, I look at the brands you've been working with. Michael Page, really well-known brand. Knight Frank, massive brand. You've got brand recognition. You've got most likely some lead generation that's just coming in from the brand. But then the next part of marketing is that lead nurture process. What are your thoughts on approaching lead nurture for these type of industries? It's a big question. <laughs> I would say when you're looking at lead nurturing, you need to look at the starting point, right? Where your lead, um, leads are coming from and the making sure that you've got the right clients, that you're targeting the right clients. But not only that, that you understand the whole ecosystem of where you're acting. For us in real estate, most of the time, we've got actually very lengthy process because when a, an occupier is trying to renew his contract, for example, with the lender, we're really talking about two years. So it's a very lengthy process. And as you would imagine, selling big buildings is a very lengthy pro process because you're not buying a multi-billion assets just like that overnight. So it really is understanding the ecosystem, who you're targeting. It's not just straightforward, like you've got a consumer where the mother is going to buy the milk and that's it. So you've got a lot of decision makers in the process. So I think understanding that whole ecosystem, like I said, who is the decision maker? Who are the influencers? Who are the actual buyers? Who's going to make a call on it? Who's going to review from a legal perspective? So you have to have a really good understanding of who they are and also knowing that it will also depend on what industry you're targeting as well. So if you're targeting a startup and if you're targeting a energy company, you will have a totally different ecosystem. So you have to identify who are your stakeholders, which targets at that time and really uh, understanding what are their pain points at that stage. So if we're targeting the startup company, we will look at uh, the CEO, of course, because that will be the one that will make the, the decision ultimately. But we will talk to the office manager at some stage and really reassuring them that we're actually not there to take over some of their workload. We're actually here to partner with them and all that. So that's a very, very complex. And then once We've got all set, the message and the pain. We're going through the, the lead nurturing. And equally, we need to understand from a timely manner when we need to send the communication. Automation will help, but also when to stop. I know I was thinking about it the other day. When to stop the communication with the clients? Because, for example, when you are very close to the pitch process, for example, are you going to stop your conversation? Or are you going to actually plant new ideas or new problems that they haven't seen and all that? So when to stop that conversation and when to start again is a bit of a fine line. We still haven't nailed that. 
Okay, so the, you said a couple of things there that I want to dig into a little bit deeper. What I see a huge amount in lead nurture strategies is somebody engages with a lead generation campaign. They might get an outreach from a sales rep or a business development rep or something like that. And if that person is not ready to buy, they get enrolled into a fairly generic lead nurture campaign that maybe lasts five months. And the argument that I hear from the from people from brands that do this is it's not worth the effort to make personalized, unique lead generation journeys based on the pain point or based on the context of what you know about this particular lead. So they just have this very vanilla, plain lead nurture that as a reminder, subscribe to our newsletter and then that type of thing. Do you think that the, it is worth the effort having highly personalized lead nurtures based on pain points and so on? It's a good question. I think this approach works only if you know at what time of this sales cycles you are, right? Because obviously different messages and all that. I think it depends if you go spear fishing or if you go mass market, right? I mean, obviously for us, as like mentioned, not every day someone's buying a building. So for us, that's definitely something that will work because we're really working towards one goal. So we're not mass market. So I think to some extent, I think some people, I can understand why some people think like, well, that's actually not worth the effort. But when you're looking at the area where we're playing, I think it's definitely worth it. And I think it could be a big difference. And the other thing that we don't think enough is also using that lead nurturing pre-pitch for when you've got your salespeople entering in the room and they're like, yeah, we're here. And if you already understand your client and the pain point and all that, you already have all your message out there. They've seen you on LinkedIn. They've seen you on email. They've seen your emails. They've read articles. They've heard you talking about it during conference and then you arrive and it's not like you're not talking about it like it's not like you're not credible so i think to some extent this is where i think it's very very important to market like that okay so my second question then is you have in your crm somebody that has converted whether that they've a past buyer or they've engaged with some sort of campaign that you've that you've created now what you mentioned earlier is Lead nurturing needs to take into account the multiple decision makers and influences. So what happens if you only have that one person's details? Like, how do you get the others? I mean, is that a manual process, an automated process? How do you go about reaching a a department like procurement who has completely different buying needs to the CEO, as an example? (laughs) Hopefully no salespeople will hear that. But I think the salespeople always think they know everyone, right? They're like, I know the person that matters. But uh, the, the fact is that they don't. There are tools that are enabling you to understand and to map out companies and understand where are the gaps. I think LinkedIn's got a, a good product that will enable you to do that. It's quite expensive. But nonetheless, they do have such a such product, which I think is good. But it's also about really expanding your reach. So this is where instead of going to property conferences, we're going to go to finance conferences. And then you're going to do some HR publications, for example, if you want to talk to HR people about workplace strategy and how to best best, um, uh, best set your office and talking about talent retention and all that. So this is where you're actually using different outlets. Did I respond to your question? Yes, yes, you did answer my question. All right. Last question on lead nurture. Related to your answer, you mentioned them seeing your ads. So now 
99% of lead nurtures that I see, plain text emails. You get the plain text emails, you get the marketing email with HTML and it looks beautiful. You get text messages, you get WhatsApp, you get ads that can be displayed on Facebook and LinkedIn and that type of thing. You can create a task for a salesperson to call. Should all lead nurtures have all of those things or some of them like in your industry, real estate, how do you approach it? A mix of everything. This is the answer. We only started using hotspots. And so we do not have that personalized data and all that. So we're still building it, right? So we don't really understand how our client want us to communicate with them and how often and all that, which I think that's something that we are definitely building up. And most importantly, if you send your pretty email, you're not sure that your email will reach because sometimes pretty emails get shut off or because the EA will actually screen the email as well. So you never know. So you need to have, this is where you direct emails, like the not pretty one from sales to person work quite well. And the LinkedIn call and the WhatsApp and that, that whole ecosystem is quite important to have everything until you actually really nail your client persona and really understand where, how, when, who as well, right? Because who is contacting them as well is quite important. Yeah, I absolutely support that. A multi-channel approach. Some people are going to, your email is going to go to spam. Some people don't often check their LinkedIn account. So multi-channel for me is extremely powerful. And I think the one part that people often leave out is an actual call. And I think one of the reasons why they leave it out is when they have disconnected systems. So I'm glad you mentioned HubSpot there because obviously like it's so easy to create a task for sales rep as part of a lead nurture to actually give the person a call. Yeah. And also just something that we were talking earlier about the different person that are in the buying process. I think it's also very important to think about the legacy. Like, for example, you've been working on your decision maker for so long and then suddenly bye-bye is gone. He's been moving to Hong Kong or, where, or Australia, whatever. So it's also very important to have penetration from every level so even like your junior team as well so it's sales team talking to young young sales team talking to young sales team and all that so that they're all growing together and then you've got like a healthy ecosystem as well yeah that makes a very good point all right uh, two more questions for you i would love to get your thoughts on what the future holds i mean you've mentioned crm digital lead nurturing like where do you think everything's going over the next few years it's a bit scary and and very exciting i should say i think it's going to be super customized and super AI oriented. And the reason why I'm saying that is a few weeks ago, I was, I love shopping. I love online shopping as well. And I needed that belt that I've seen on the picture. And I knew that there was a shop that was somewhere, I can't remember, one of the shopping mall here in Singapore. And I was trying to find the name of that shop. And here I go on my phone looking at directory and all that. Did not find the name, by the way. Eventually, I the next day I took Instagram, I was on Instagram. What did I see? That same brand that actually showed up. So don't know what they've done in the back end. Very scary because it's a bit stalky, right? But as marketing, I think, I think this is brilliant. The, they came to me. I could not even remember the name and they came to me. Magical. Yeah. No, I've been a marketer myself. I question these people that want to block all their data and don't accept cookies and that type of thing because I accept it all personally because I'm like, I want better marketing to reach me. I know it's not for everybody, but I absolutely hear you. I love it when I get targeted with relevant. I was looking for that shop and they reach out to me. It's like genius. 
All right, so to end off, the one thing, the piece of advice that you wanted to leave with everybody today is to get out of your comfort zone. Why is that your piece of advice? When you get out of your comfort zone, this is where you excel, this is where you do your trial error, and this is where you challenge yourself, and this is where you grow. Going back to the meditation and all that, I think growing is very important, especially as marketer, right? 15 years ago when I started, marketing was so different. There was no digital. There was no nothing. Like It was just starting communicating by email. That was it. And it's been changing tremendously. And if you don't have that step out of your comfort zone, then I'll still be doing the same thing that I was doing 20 years ago. In marketing, not an option. I so agree. I see so many people fall in love with a tactical channel. They sometimes build a business or an agency around it. And that changes. It's so high risk. A really good piece of advice. Just to go back to that, what's the big risk, right? If it goes wrong, it goes wrong. You've tried. And then it's about try and error and all that. And you learn from your mistake and that's it. Yeah, for sure. With user attention nowadays or consumer attention, being first to market has a massive benefit. Even if you get it wrong, being the first brand on TikTok or whatever has its benefits because when everybody else comes, people are already tuned out and not paying attention. So I agree with trialing things and then you can evolve. If you never try, how can you evolve? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We've just launched ahead of all the competition. There you go. And we're rocking it. <laughs> I'll check it out. All right, Annabelle, it's Friday, five o'clock now, Singapore. You're off to a party tonight. I hope you have a really good time. I know you've been missing the dance floor. You're going to spin around. Take off my shoes. <laughs> Take off my shoes and then. <laughs> oh, I hope you have an amazing time. Thank you so much for joining us today on Digital Surfing. It's been a real pleasure finding out a little bit more about you and, and what you do. Thank you, Darren, for having me. 